Welcome back, Great American Dynasty Podcast, Episode 6. Back at it again, and this time, so-and-so. We're in a so-so place, you know. Um, We played really, really well today, coming in after the third game of the Philly series. To wrap it up, it's a series win. You win two out of three, um, but I think more importantly, looking at these last seven against you had one against Cleveland and then three against Atlanta and three against Philadelphia. Um, You know, these were games that were super important because you had San Diego playing Arizona and you had Milwaukee playing Pittsburgh. So these were games that you needed to basically um, kind of tread water on until you could get to the chance where, they start playing very, very good teams, but we went three and four. Um, and to say that it was, um, I think to say it was average baseball, it was about as average as average could get in the sense of one game. I felt like we would play excellent. Um, you know, a lot of runners on, a lot of plays being made in the field, a lot of pitches being made, um, moving runners over, stuff like that. And then the next game, it seemed like sometimes we couldn't even get a runner on base. Um, and sometimes it felt like we couldn't even throw a strike, even with the bases loaded. Yeah, you know, it, it was very frustrating uh, the way, especially – to me, the way that that Atlanta series went down, um, that walk off in the first game, and then um, as we sort of touched on, just the many missed opportunities of the eight to six loss, and then um, obviously we bounced back uh, with that twelve to three win on Thursday. Uh, I don't know where our offense was uh, for those other two games. Um, But, you know, uh, them's the breaks. And then it's really strange, uh, the the contrast between Friday and Saturday for me, especially considering, you know, we're facing on Friday a Cy Young candidate in Zach Wheeler. And we, we end up putting six runs on the board in that game. And then who we even, who do you, who even started that second game? This is this for is what, Philadelphia for Philadelphia. Um, that was Matt Moore, Matt Moore, who the last time I looked had like a 10 something ERA and he ends up, you know, only giving up, I think it was, I think he gave up that one run. Um, he had six no-hit innings. Yep, six no-hit innings. Stevenson uh, hit hit that uh, home run. That was the first hit, and that was that ended up being our only run that game. Um, obviously, uh, the win the win today was 
a uh, big step in the right direction, but it, it's just these these past this past week was basically just like a summation of basically the frustrations of this year of missed opportunity, mismanagement, um, just sort of, you know, it was the play uh, yesterday um, when Doolittle came in, that triple that Harper hit, and then it ended up being an inside the Parker um, because, you know, guys just weren't, paying attention you know it's just so frustrating at this point of the season to see these kinds of mistakes um it it cannot happen when you are in this tight of a race every game counts and you know when you're losing in that sort of fashion it it just lowers that team morale even more yeah, exactly. Like, um, you know, you've really got to just put yourself in the position to make that push. And I feel like, you know, we keep saying it over and over again, but it's it really is like one step forward and then you just take two steps right back. And then we're sitting around in the same spot that we were a week ago. And I just don't get how. Um you know, you had a lot of winnable games. That walk-off, I mean, that game was winnable from the first pitch to the last pitch. And we – when it, it feels like you are giving games away in such a tight race, you really are putting yourself at a disadvantage. However, I mean, looking looking a little bit forward, we are playing the Cubs next series – who are 0 and 10 in their last 10. So to say that, like, we really, I just think this needs to be a, and I feel like I'm saying the same thing over and over and over again, that this needs to be a series where we just, like, step on the throat and move forward. Um, I felt that way in the Atlanta series where, and even in this Philadelphia series at some points, like, like let's take we win those two games let's take that that second game in that Philadelphia series you're talking about getting no hit by a guy that has a double digit ERA not only that but coming in and having three hits in a game and including that error at the very end I mean, I felt like that was just like the, well, this one's done. Let's just move on. And I don't understand that kind of part because even if, like, you're still in a five-to-one game, it's a four-run game. Like, you're not completely out of it like you think you are. Um, But at the end of the day, like, Castillo didn't throw that bad in that game. Um you know, struck out eight, gave up five hits, six and two-thirds. Not, like, the greatest outing we've ever seen. But it was enough to, like, give our team a chance to win. 
But when you're getting no hit on the other side, you're just, I mean, nothing's going to happen. Like you're not, you're not going to do anything with that start. So it'll be really interesting to see how we um, react to that, to this, these past couple of series. Um, It'll be really interesting to see if we can, put stuff behind us and basically just move forward with the strength that we all kind of think we have. Yeah. Especially, you know, I mean, for the most part, in my opinion, we completely outplayed the Phillies in that series, you know, from, like you said, even in that second game, I mean, Castillo was, basically in top form uh, from compared to all year. I mean, he was reaching 101 on the radar gun. I mean, but we just didn't really put anything up on the offense, on the offensive side to sort of support him. So, you know, if if we can continue to have those kinds of outings uh, from him, and we actually put runs on the board. That gives me a ton of confidence. Um, but it, it's very frustrating to see, you know, I, I saw something the other day, you know, we basically might as well shift our expectations from, you know, expecting uh, Zach Wheeler to go lights out on us to basically – you know, we, we should just expect to <laughs> hit him all over the ballpark and then someone like Matt Moore comes on the mound. You know, we, sh- we should basically just expect a uh, lights-out ball from him. So it, it, it's, it's very confusing at times, but that's just the relationship that, you know, fans have come to expect uh, out of this team over the years. And even today, we put up four runs on Aaron Nola. He's no slouch either. Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler. We can do that and put up runs and put up double-digit hits. And then Matt Moore, we get no hit through six innings. You know, that's just kind of the games where, again, I think you just need to step on the throat and – prove why that guy has a 10 ERA. Yeah, but, but um but like you said we've got the Cubs coming up 11 game losing streak. Um we've got uh the Marlins coming up. Um you know, they're not a whole lot better. Um so hopefully this is where we can start to build that confidence again and hopefully come around. And looking at this, um, looking at these standings right now, you know, we're, we have 64 wins. We're eight games back. Um, looking at the NL East, you've still got kind of a three team toss up, but I don't know that, that division to me is kind of like, if, if New York can get everybody back and healthy, I think that they will make a somewhat decent push, but I just don't see like 
Atlanta to me is just not that good of a baseball team. And that might be like they're in first place right now, but looking at it, like New York's played LA the last three days and you know, like that's how you gain on an opponent. Like when they play a tough team, you go out and you win those games against a team like the nationals. So like, to me, that's a little skewed, but like, I just don't see it in Duval Peterson. Like when you're relying on those types of guys for offense. Now you do have Austin Riley, who's had a really good year. Dansby Swanson, who's been really good late and obviously Albies and Freddie Freeman, but like, that outfield to me is just not where it was with Acuna in it. And it when Acuna's in there, it makes that team so much better. So honestly, if I if the Braves win this series and go to the playoffs, I don't care who they're playing. I think they get bounced in the first round. Um I think the I think the Mets have a much better shot if they win the division, then both Philadelphia and Atlanta. But to me, that's kind of a toss up and still what we've been kind of saying all year, like the, um, the NL West, it's basically still a toss up at this point. You know, you've got three stats wise, when like win totals, um, you know, Stat-wise, everything, they're three of the best teams in baseball. If their third-place team has 67 wins. So, like, you know, right now they have three teams in the playoffs and getting Tatis back for San Diego and adding Scherzer and Trey Turner to Los Angeles and adding Chris Bryant to San Francisco. Like who would have thought San Francisco would be in first place by at this point of the year. And thinking that they have the most wins in baseball is beyond everybody. So to me, I still am as of right now where the standings sit. I am still under the impression that we have to win the division to really have a shot at at a playoff chance, that a deep deeper run in the playoffs. Because, like we said before, you know, if you're playing in a wild card game, let let's say San Diego slips and you play a wild card game against the Dodgers, you're getting either Scherzer or probably Bueller. I mean, it's just, and even if we win that game, you're burning. I don't even know. Would we start Castillo in that game? It's it's a very sort of you know turbulent position to be in, especially considering you know it, you're using that one starter and then you're basically turning it over to you know a, a sort of mixed bag um you know there's cat i i personally believe you start gray in that wild card game 
Um, you go to, you know, that option of Castillo, maybe Mally. I, it, it's very confusing to me um, in that sort of position. And, you know, you sort of shot yourself in the foot this past week. You know, you've yeah. got to pick up every game uh, um, possible these next few weeks um, to sort of have a chance at the division. Because, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to face that Bueller, that Scherzer, you know, that you Darvish, that Trevor Rogers, whoever, you know, they end up throwing. Um, so, you know, it, you also have some games against the Brewers coming up um, next week. Um, you go to Milwaukee um, after the Marlins series. So there's some chance to gain ground there as well. Um, so that it's a very difficult position to be in, but it's not completely hopeless at this point. Yeah. And like, like you were saying, like we really have put ourselves in kind of like a bad position, but um, like statistically we've done pretty like, okay against that Milwaukee staff and thinking that they're, probably one of the best performing staffs in baseball in all of baseball this year with that three headed Woodruff Burns, Freddie Peralta. But, you know, you, you don't want to be in that position where you're relying on beating an ACE, like beating a guy that's just been lights out all year and has the stuff to single handedly put you out of a game. Um, And I think that's a fine line that we are walking to where we are, we are almost relying on some of these games later on in the season to kind of like you, to me, you can't just assume that you're going to take a series against Milwaukee so far this year, we are eight and eight versus Milwaukee. So awesome like when you think about the kind of team that they have that we've split with them but realistically are we thinking eight games back in the middle of august that hell we can make a run at this thing to me it's not really like we have to capitalize on like if we're in the same spot two weeks from now I'm going to have very, very little faith that we can make up eight games in that short amount of time. But if, if we can like, you know, tread water, like if we were to basically tread water and gain a couple games on these last two series and then go into Chicago, Miami, you know, those kind of teams I feel like we would be in such a better spot than we are right now. But when you lose that, that walk off and that Matt Moore game, like those are the two that are going to stick with me in those two series. Like you said, i really feel like we out, we outplayed the Phillies in those three games, but 
And for the most when part, I just, feel like we outplayed the Braves too. Exactly. Yes. You know, even you lose two to three in that first game. Like, and like Drew Smiley was on the mound for them, and he had seven strikeouts in six innings, gave up two runs in six innings. Like, I just, to me, I don't see the, as of right now, if we are playing the way we are and we keep, you know, having our our ups and our downs and our hills and our valleys and we're we're peaking and then we're going straight back to the bottom and then the next game we're peaking again. I feel like we're in such a terrible spot because we are already so far back. Yeah, and to your point, you know, we can't rely on these, you know, late game runs we can't rely on these on other teams to you know just kind of roll over and you know just sort of give up their spot in the standings you know if this is this is october right here you know you are literally playing for your season in the next month and a half right now so you know, it, it's if you want to roll over and you want to, you know, at at the at the most, you know, in that situation, end up in a wild card and face a Max Scherzer, a Walker Bueller, you know, that's that's fine and good. You know, you can go ahead and you know face a Cy Young tier ace, but if you want to you know, be in a much better position to make a run in a championship, it, it's time to get on your horse and start riding. I mean, it's just to the point where we just really need to start gaining ground. Because you not to harp on the same point, but you can't be in – September and expect to make up eight games against a team like Milwaukee. Like that's just not going to happen. And I hate to be that way, but to me, it's just not going to happen because you are already so far back. I don't think it matters how good you are playing because you're not going to win all those games in that month. So you really need to put yourself in a position going into that last month that we can say, okay, we really have a shot if we can win here, 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 and here. But if, if we're in the same spot we are, to me, it's just not likely that we're going to go into the middle of September thinking, awesome, like great, can't wait. It's going to be a disappointment and then next year it's going to be the same roller coaster of awesome like i can't wait for this year like i love this team like love the staff we have love the love the um, position players we have and we've got all stars we got superstars and then and then we're on the same roller coaster of you know we start the season out strong or we start very 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 bad like we have in past years, but 
you know, we're riding the same roller coaster of peaks and valleys and it seems like we get to a peak and then we just shoot straight back down. Um, but moving on, um, some roster moves were made um, this past weekend. Um, and I think they're interesting to say the least. Um, you know, Nick Senzel is obviously not with the major league team. He is in Louisville. Um, you know, and granted, tomorrow, tomorrow he could be brought up to Cincinnati. You know, you, you never really know for sure. Um, it could be that they didn't want him, you know, going out to Philadelphia for one. Who knows, you know. But there still are rumors going around that he could be to Cincinnati coming this week. Um, but kind of what are your initial reactions on the fact that this pro I'm going to call him a prospect still because he still is young in my eyes, but a prospect, a young, young player that we've invested so much time, capital playing, like playing time. Um, you know, we didn't trade him for Lindor. Um, you know, we've invested all these resources along the lines and, now he's in triple A. Oh boy. I've, I've got a lot of different uh, directions. I can take this in. Um, I think I'll, I'll save most of those for an article, but um, for right now, the direction I'm going to take this in is basically you like you said you've invested so much so many resources into Nick Senzel you made the risk of when you first brought him up you basically sat him down uh in double a or pardon me triple a uh because you didn't want to uh it was like a rookie uh, service time uh, loophole at first. Um, I believe that was during the Dick Williams era. And that was a move to basically save you money in the long run because you didn't want to bring him up because of his rookie service time. Uh, which, you know, if, I, if I'm Nick Senzel, I'd feel a little slighted. Um at that and then obviously the many injuries that he sustained over you know his very short time which is unfortunate it's no one's fault um you obviously can't blame nick you can't blame the front office uh for something that's completely out of their control but then something like this where you are in a tight race in October, heading towards October. You are trying to, or you should try to at least, put your best roster out onto the field every single day 
in a very tight playoff race. And if I'm Nick Senzel, I'm looking at this roster and I'm saying to myself, is Aristides Aquino really better than me? Is Shogo Akiyama really better than me? Is Eugenio Suarez really better than me? It's, you know, it's not a slight personally to these guys that, you know, obviously work their asses off every single day. But if I'm Nick Senzel, I'm looking at these stats and I'm looking at Eugenio Suarez's 176 batting average and his 632 OPS. And I'm saying to myself, am I really not as good of an option as Eugenio Suarez? You know, am I really taking a backseat to nine pitchers in the bullpen with Sean Doolittle and Jeff Hoffman taking a spot above me? It's very frustrating for a player to see that and not want out of, of a team that's holding him back from his true potential and that's holding him back from getting meaningful playing time in these big situations. Yeah. And I'll kind of take it the same direction that you did. Um, When we're thinking about taking this team into playoff baseball into October, you know, you really, just like you said, you want to put that the best roster on the field. If when I'm looking at this, Nick Senzel is your third best outfielder on that team. And he might even be your fourth best infielder on that team as of right now. So, are, what has, what have some of these guys done in this year specifically to prove to you that? they will have more of an impact on the field than Nick Senzel will coming back. It's definitely not Sean Doolittle. It's definitely not Jeff Hoffman. And you could pretty much make a 99% case for Shogo Akiyama and Suarez up to this point this year. So we were, again, kind of talking about it before, but ultimately this is this has to be budgetary restrictions. This cannot be, I don't think Nick Senzel's good enough to play on this team because, frankly, it's just complete bullshit. That's just not true. He's clear in a way better than some of these guys that are getting consistent playing time. You know, you're looking at, and again, going back to the amount of resources we have invested, I will always go back to that when Lindor was on the block and Trevor Story was on the block and we didn't trade for either of them and we could have given him up. Easy. They wanted Senzel. We wanted Lindor. That was the missing piece, and everybody knew it. We didn't give him up, and that's okay, but he just can't be down in the minors now. 
these last three years, he's only played in 163 games. But you've got to think, barring injury, he's probably played closer to 300 games. And and barring so, that COVID season, which basically just messed everything up, basically. So exactly. So at what point? Do we as not only fans of this team, but fans of just baseball in general, because this is the part of baseball that I really hate. Um, like, like for example, um, you know, Colorado. Let's just take Colorado. This year they've had Trevor Story. The smartest thing for them to do, and all 30 teams know, Everybody rooting for these teams know. Everybody that watches these teams know. The smartest thing for Colorado to do is to trade Trevor Story and get assets back for this rebuild. You did it to Nolan Arenado. And they didn't do it. What makes Colorado think that the three prospects and two picks, whatever the combination is that they could combine for Trevor story and maybe uh, another player or another prospect or whatever is worth less than the compensation pick that they're going to get. There's just no world where anybody can say to me that Colorado is trying for that fan base. If if we wanted to win a World Series, got the roster to do it, we would make it happen. You've got perennial MVP playing like MVPs right now. Vada's been playing like an MVP the last month. Winker was for the first half of the season. Castellanos was before he got hurt. If we were actively searching for a World Series title, I really think that screw the budget. We're going all in this year and we're putting all our chips in. And then if next year comes around and we've got to cut cost, we'll do it. But you can't tell me that you're going for that world series title and you're not willing to eat up a $1.5 million contract. Just can't happen. Like you said, you know, if you're not willing to eat up, you know, a $1.5 million contract that Tyler Naquin's on right now, if you're not willing to eat up whatever Jeff Hoffman's contract is right now, it's got to be like a minor league deal. If you're not willing to eat up uh, the $1 billion or so that you spent on Sean Doolittle, there's something extremely wrong in that front office when it comes to a budgetary standpoint. There's no way that Bob Castellini doesn't have $1 million to blow on a contract like Sean Doolittle's or Tyler Naquin's. I'm I'm sorry, but if he's running a baseball team – you think about everything that goes into, you know, merchandise sales, paying employees, paying for concessions and whatnot. 
there there would be something extremely wrong and if that's really a problem then tomorrow the reds should just declare for bankruptcy there's <laughs> there's it, it just boggles the mind there's no sort of logical reasoning behind it in in my eyes yeah so just to clarify everything Tyler Naquin is on a $1.5 million contract. Sean Doolittle is on a $1.5 million contract. Jeff Hoffman is on a $585,000 contract. So, again, I think the question arises to where, in what world is Nick Sinzel not enough for eating a $585,000 contract. What value does nine relievers have if some of these relievers are only going to pitch every five days? Some of this has to change. Like eventually we have to realize that Nixon's out is a very, very big part of this team, whether you like it or not. We've already, again, put the resources behind him to prove that he is part of this team. The money's there. The playing time is there. So what are we doing to where relievers that have five, six, seven, eight ERAs are sitting in the bullpen? To me, there's just no real explanation. Because you traded for relievers at the deadline, too. We have a surplus of arms that you can throw right now that are currently on the active roster that are better than Jeff Hoffman, that are better than Sean Doolittle. So, and it, it to me, it doesn't make sense because it's a little inconsistent. I felt it was the same way with Jonathan India. We had Mike Freeman, but we knew Mike Freeman ain't better than Jonathan India. You know that. So what are we like? Now we're in it. We're in the playoff race still. At this point, on August the 15th, at 11.26 p.m., we are currently still in a playoff race. So to not put your best foot forward is just super, super aggravating. And it's so disappointing to see that we might have to roll – Shogo out there, and he's great in the field, but he's not this spectacular defender to where I'm like, okay, you can hit 220. That's fine. It's not fine. He's just not that guy. And the example that I'll always go back to is Fernando Tatis because he is not a very – consistent fielder he's very athletic he makes a lot of like highlight plays and you know plays in the hole and stuff like that and you know he jumps about forty thousand feet up in the air to catch a line drive but you live with his errors because he's gonna hit 300 and he's gonna hit you 40 home runs i cannot live with 
an average defender if you hit 220. And there was another stat that I saw on Twitter that was Tyler Naquin these past, um, I think, I want to say two months, is hitting around the 240 range. So, again, what do we not think that Nick Senzel can't hit 260? Do we, like, where are we at that he's proven to us that he can do that? You know, he played in 104 games in his rookie season and hit 256 and had 315 on base percentage. And then this year, before he got hurt, he was hitting 252 with a 323 on base. He was filling that, because I don't know if you remember, but in the very beginning of the year, Nick Senzel was hitting leadoff. It wasn't Jonathan India. So where are we at that Jonathan India can't hit first and Nick Senzel, Nick Senzel can't hit seventh? Right above Tucker. You know, and I think uh, to that sort of comparison that you drew uh, earlier um, with the, the Shogo situation, I think something even more, you know, sort of, I wouldn't say relevant, but something, an example that would be more fitting would be the situation that we had with Billy Hamilton. You know, the reason why we stuck with him for so long, even though he was hitting 220, was because he was an elite level defender. He was a gold glove contender year in and year out in center field. Um, you know, he had the speed, he had the fielding ability. Um, there's a reason why we stuck with him for so long uh, trying to get him to hit. And that was the reason why, because he was such a, he was such an asset in the outfield that his defense alone could be the, could be the anchor that a contending team would need. Um, But you know, to Shogo is just not on that level of, you know, he, he's a very good, he's a very athletic baseball player. Let, let's not get that. Let's not get that wrong. Shogo Akiyama. There's a reason why he was as big in Japan as he was in the major leagues. It just doesn't quite cut it. It's not, that sort of level of talent that, you know, guys like, you know, Tatis, guys like Acuna, guys like, you know, all these other big names in the game today. He's not, you know, even really league average in terms of, you know, these metrics. But you know, you, it, it, it almost feels like the front office isn't willing to accept a failure on that front. Um, that, that's the logical sort of conclusion that I can come to. Um, 
in that situation because like you said you know Senzel before you know all the injuries everything like that he was such an asset to this team um he was the leadoff guy he was doing just fine uh before he got hurt um you know he wasn't you know really doing so hot during his rehab stint but that's not really the point the point is in a rehab stint it's to get looks at pitchers it's to watch pitches it's to get back in your sort of groove your sort of timing at the plate not necessarily to go up there and just you know just completely mash 500 foot dongs onto you know i-75 uh, down there in Louisville, but you know the, the point is to you know get this sort of get back in the swing of things. It, Senzel, for the most part, did just that. You know, uh, from reports, it looked like he was you know back to sort of starting to get back in that groove and. To leave him down there during a such a vital point in the season, and to not at least give him a shot, just it it doesn't make any sort of sense. Yeah, and you know we're speaking on the same lines of like, I just don't get to the point where we like when you put so much behind a guy to just give up after and give up may not be the right word, but to not see him on the major league roster after an injury is just very mind boggling. But here's the exact quote that Nick crawl had and bear with me here, but here it is. It says, right now, if we bring him to the club, who goes down? There are so many players who are optionable right now. That's the main factor. So, again, when I read that quote, it just makes me think more and more into what are we really trying to accomplish. And to make one thing very clear, I have zero proof of this. Nobody really knows the conversations that go on between GM and owner. But to me, I really do think it's Castellini is telling him, okay, no more. That's it. You know, you can't do any more. No more money. And if that's the conversation going on between GM and owner, can we really blame Nick Kroll? because he is staying in that budgetary restriction. And that's really do, I wholeheartedly believe that is ultimately what is, what is driving this team right now in the front office, specifically with Bob Castellini, is that he is telling Nick Kroll no more. That's it. You've got what you got. Let's make a run at it. And, It's just not our best team. I think it's enough. I think we have a lot of heavy hitters that can carry the load that 
Suarez hasn't, you know, hasn't carried or Naquin hasn't carried as of late or Shogo hasn't carried. But at the same time, why wouldn't you want your best team on the field? Half of me almost wants to believe that, you know, David Bell's just throwing Sean Doolittle and Jeff Hoffman and Akiyama out there just in spite of, you know, just in spite of Crawl and and uh, Castellini. He's like, you know, this is this is what you guys wanted. This is what you guys gave me. So I'm going to use him anyway. Just just proving how awful he is. <laughs> I still stick by the standard that I have no idea why you sign a guy that throws one pitch and tops out at 95. He consistently sits 92 and 93 and throws one pitch. There's not many like excuses that I can think of or logic other than he's a veteran, he's played in the playoffs before. What else has he done? He's done absolutely zero for this team. Zero. And I'll always go back to, again, at the very beginning, Derek Johnson had this quote in to a reporter and said, well, I like guys that can strike people out. I like guys who induce a lot of strikeouts and don't, give up a lot of contact. And then in that same offseason, we signed Wade Miley and Sean Doolittle, two guys that induce a lot of contact. So, again, I think we are under the budgetary restrictions, and that's why we are signing some some of these guys. Because if, if Sean Doolittle doesn't sign with us, he goes signs with somebody else on a minor league deal and maybe pitches one game in the postseason. That's it. Tell me that, you know, oh, he, he's his his fastball's up to 97 now. You know, it, it's it's one, you know, mechanical sort of adjustment that was made that that had his fastball tick up a few more notches in the miles per hour category, who cares? He's got a 4.58 ERA and he's got a 1.55 whip. Tell me that there aren't better options out there. Oh, like, I mean, I just feel like this is common sense and that it's not like hard to think along the path of, you know, you've got a guy that throws one pitch and we throw him out there in a high leverage situation where you really need a strikeout. He's not going to get you that strikeout. I mean, I don't know how else to put it. Um, you know, Wade Miley's made me eat my foot this year. He's been awesome. You know, and he had that no hitter earlier in the year, but other than a couple starts here and there, he's really been where he's giving up one, two, three runs, and that's really it. He's He doesn't have these starts where, like Castillo, where he'll give up – Castillo will give up one run in seven innings, and then the next start he'll give up eight runs in three innings. Wade Miley doesn't do that. You know what you're going to get from him. But in the same sense, I feel like we know exactly what we're going to get from Sean Doolittle too. 
you know exactly what's going to happen. He's consistently giving up runs. And I can't support having Nick Senzel in AAA and Sean Doolittle and Jeff Hoffman as our eight and ninth relievers up in the majors, you know, I will die on that hill. If we go the rest of this, this year with Nick Senzel and the minors, it's going to be such a waste. And I don't know why we would, but eventually just, just one of them, you know, you I think the prime candidate has to be Sean Doolittle, especially picking up Justin Wilson. You know, you've got that another lefty. Justin Wilson isn't the cream of the crop that's ever been in baseball, but he's enough. He's better than Sean Doolittle. And you really want that, like, you a Amir Garrett's not been what we thought he was, and that sucks too. But to me, at least, Amir strikes some people out. And when we're looking at that, I would rather have a guy that strikes some people out than a guy who just doesn't. Because at the end of the day, like so many things can go wrong. If Sean Doolittle is in a high leverage situation where Amir sometimes, I think his more issue is throwing strikes. Um, I don't think Sean Doolittle has an issue with throwing strikes. I think Sean Doolittle has an issue just not being a great pitcher. And I will die on that hill the rest of this year. And if we re-sign that son of a gun, I am going to be very, very upset because that is wasted money. Wasted. Not to mention that Nick Senzel was the second, count on one, two overall pick. That's something that kind of upsets me um, that I believe does fall on Nick Crawl, unfortunately, is why do we have nine relief pitchers on the roster in the first place? Why isn't that spot reserved for someone like a Senzel or a Jose Barrero or an Alejo Lopez that has some flexibility to, you know, play when someone needs an off day? Um, or is a or is a rising prospect that needs playing time in the major leagues? Um, it's it's very confusing as to why you would need so many relievers when you just traded for three very serviceable ones at the trade deadline. It just doesn't make sense. There's no other way to put it. Yeah. And it's not that I'm like, I'm fully sold on the fact that we, if, if we have nine relievers that are competent enough to come in a game and to me, that's still too much, but I can live with it. But the fact that we have guys that just don't 
throw well. I mean, that's just it. They are just not very good relief pitchers, and we've gotten to a point where we just accept it. I feel like we just accept it. I mean, I don't see... I don't see the point in having nine relief pitchers if you're only going to really use four or five, number one. Number two, if at the end of the day, you've got two guys that aren't that good. So, you know, yes, it sucks, but ultimately what we can really hope for, I think, is in this coming week, Nick Senzel gets brought back up. And it could be a long shot, but Sean Doolittle gets DFA'd. I just don't think that there's a spot for him. Um, You know, even in these late-inning games, you picked up Sessa and Michael Givens. You got Lucas Sims and TJ Antone coming back. You picked up Justin Wilson. That's five guys that I'll take any day over Sean Doolittle. So, to me, there's just not a whole lot of room to say, yeah, we'll find him some innings here and there, whatever. No. (laughs) You've got five guys that can throw over him. So, to me, it's just not... not, um, not competitive, in a sense. Um... But, you know, moving on from that, because that, you know, really sucks to, like, harp on, but it just needs to be said, because at the end of the day, it's just the way it is. Um, But looking at um, kind of the landscape of MLB right now with the Field of Dreams game that just happened, to me, that was awesome. I loved it. Um, you know, it was a lot of maybe not the two best teams in baseball. Um, the White Sox certainly are, but I don't know about that team in New York. Um, they're a little inconsistent for my taste, but um, it's the same way of you're putting – baseball on this national showcase and really showcasing the excitement that it bring that it can bring, um, you know, the gameplay, you know, there were, I don't know if they moved the fences in or what, but Brett Gardner hit a freaking home run. So it was just awesome to see and to see the drama that unfolded late with Giancarlo off of Liam Hendricks to give up the Yankees the lead. And then, Tim Anderson off of Zach Britton, you know, it, to me, it was awesome to like, as a casual baseball fan and some of like, I feel like they really, if you watch the game, it really like put in the spotlight baseball. And it's really something that we haven't had as of late because of, the blackouts on the streaming services and you know you can really you can really only watch the game if you have cable and to some people that's just not an option like streaming service is what people use 
So I feel like we're really missing out on a large portion of an audience if we, you know, expanded to those streaming services, but to put it on Fox to where everybody can watch it, you know, it really like boosts, like everybody was talking about it on Twitter. So to me, I loved it. Absolutely. You know, um, it, it's, I'll get to my positives first before I get to sort of my drawbacks. But, you know, I, I think, you know, the way it it was sort of hyped up um, couldn't have been any better. Um, the presentation itself. I mean, you start out with, you know, Kevin Costner coming out of the cornfields and then, you know, the White Sox and the Yankees players following him. You know, that, that was that a was, little corny. That was that, a, a quite a bit corny. Come on, that 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 was I, I thought it was I thought it was a uh, I thought it was a pretty good um, sort of presentation, even even though it was a little corny, but it, no pun intended. But um, <laughs> I, I thought, uh, you know, the game. The game itself was incredible. Um, like you said, two, you know, sort of top tier teams, not not necessarily top tier, certainly the Yankees, um, but sort of two large market teams. Let's put it that way: two large market teams uh, going head to head, two competitive, uh, for the most part, teams. Um, you know, the drama that unfolded. Uh, in those late innings, especially. Um, and, you know, something that, you know, I feel like is sort of underrated in that aspect was sort of, uh, even though there's some drawbacks to it, um, the stat cast sort of, you know, numbers not being uh, incorporated into the presentation. I feel like there's something to be said about that because to some sort of more casual fans, you know, that might be a bit too, you know, boring or it might be a bit too much. Um, so, you know, that is sort of a plus. Um, it's sort of also a drawback uh, because, you know, obviously you're not getting that sort of data uh, as, you know, someone who's more into the nuances and these, you know, more complicated statistics, you know, you're not getting the, that sort of data um, to someone who's a more, you know, sort of advanced fan. Um, and then uh, another sort of thing you, you touched on it was the blackouts. Uh, it, the game wasn't on very many streaming, streaming services. You know, if we are to truly grow the game, uh, you know, we've touched on this plenty of times. If it's blacked off, if it's blacked out on MLB TV in Iowa, you know, a community that really doesn't have a whole lot uh, in the first place, a uh, place full of nothing but cornfields and wheat, um, you know, something that that for them that's sort of their one thing that they can have is you know 
we've got the field of dreams game. You know, we, we want to be able to watch it and see that sort of crowning achievement for our community. And then they're not able, they're not able to watch the game. You know, there was, I saw on Twitter, there was a billboard um, that someone put up uh, that was like directly to commissioner Manfred, which was, you know, end the blackouts in Iowa so Iowans can watch their favorite teams. You know, there there's something to be said about growing the game and the availability and the outreach of the game. Um, but yeah, if you, you can't know, watch it, then I mean, <laughs> if you can't watch it, um, then there's obviously something wrong. But, you know, like you said, overall, just a very just an incredible presentation an incredible moment um, for the game. And it overall, it, it is a step in the right direction. So, you know, there's some hope to be had there. Um, and hopefully they continue in this direction of, you know, making the game, you know, these sort of making the game brighter in a publicity sort of standpoint. Yeah. And like most people like that I saw on Twitter that were talking about it, it was like, you know, I can't wait for this game to come on so I can watch it. Like, I can't wait to see what they do with it. I can't wait to see what happens. And that excitement around the game, just period, is a lot of what we need, Um, especially coming out of that COVID year and only playing 60 games. But it would be awesome to see that excitement, you know, all year long. And I think the only way to do that is to say, if you live in Cincinnati, you can watch the Reds. That is crazy to me. That, And I think here's more of what the ultimate problem is, is that, like, let's say we lived in Chicago and we're Reds fans. You can pay to watch the Reds on MLB TV. So you can watch the Reds. But when they come to Chicago to play Chicago, it's blacked out. You can't watch it. So at what point are we going to accept that taking teams, you know, not being able to watch teams that you pay for and that you, you know, you want to watch, like you, you turn on the TV for at what point are we just going to take away, like go away from that? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. And I think it takes the same thing with, um, you know, with the uh, NFL games, like you can watch the NFL, you know, I, if you have a streaming service on most nights, there is almost no baseball on TV. You can't watch it because you don't have that cable service. And it's just a lot of that's where the direction of TV is going is a lot of like more streaming and whatever. 
and it's not anything that anybody can help or do whatever. It's just the way it is. So why are we not moving towards, you know, that way? It's just a great way to grow the game. And I think if that happens, you'll get a lot more um, exposure and interaction between fan and game and fan and player. But ultimately, just like you said, I feel like it was a great, great game to broadcast on a national level. And it was just a great experience to see, even though quite corny. Um, it was a great experience to see stars of the game out on one of the all-time baseball movies. Okay, that'll wrap it up for episode six. We'll see you guys in episode seven.